Hello everyone and welcome back to Eating Salads. It's me again, Austin Crosby. So today I think that what we should talk about are a couple of terms. Um, Long-termism, effective altruism. Now, it's kind of interesting because as an English speaker, uh, I can use context clues embedded in those words to get a pretty good idea of what they mean. And I will represent that effective altruism is deeply researched and selected based on the grounds of effectiveness charity. So some elements of this are what do you weigh? You know, is it to end suffering? To end global suffering, well, if animals can suffer, there's a great deal, many animals suffering um, compared to maybe, you know, hungry kids in Africa. Where do you weigh those two against one another? Or, um, I don't know, man. That, that seems nearly impossible to work out. And I think on a case-by-case basis, you have to you know, look into those sorts of things. Uh, one that always comes up to me, I think, is a very underrated form of suffering management, let's call it, is definitely abortion and encouraging abortion and not letting lives begin, which have the potential to increase suffering. I think that that's a, you know, it's a good bet. Most people don't live in endless bliss. So better most don't live, I think. But anyway, then the other one, which kind of conflicts with that last notion there, is long-termism. I don't think it conflicts, though if we unpack it enough. But long-termism is the idea that we should um, do what's best for much further down the line. Maybe not the immediate future. Maybe it is um, investing, for example, in a carbon-free future, knowing that the transition will be hard in the short term because generations down the line, of course, they will benefit from it. Those seem like pretty innocuous and not, you know, very uh, hardly ground-shattering ideas, right? But I guess, I guess not. I guess they are. And and the way that the other one, by the way, they don't conflict is if there's less people, our descendants will uh, be having a better time. I think, you know, that calls into question this issue between the boomers and the doomers, this idea uh, that we should strive for growth above all else versus the idea that we should wind down. I've been meaning to watch lately. I saw that there was a video, a, a YouTube video essay called The Case for Degrowth, and I haven't yet watched it, but I can guess that, of course, that uh, the case for degrowth is that growth-based economics uh, in the long term just might sentence all of our descendants to slavery in, in the name of perpetual gains, right? Whereas the case for degrowth, I would say, um, 
that GDP is just a number which represents how interdependent everyone is or how dependent on outside resources everyone is. So the case for degrowth, meaning that we've found such a sustainable existence that we no longer need to strive for more. We've actually found, you know, a kind of peace of mind and being. So that's kind of cool, right? These are interesting ideas. This is the, uh, the 21st century, 21st century philosophy. You know, it, it's summed up on many different fronts. I mean, you could even look at this concept of anti-natalism versus pro-mortalism on the doomer side of things. And it's like, oh, well, there's infighting. There's nuance. And when you find nuance, you know, it's almost one of those cases of where there's smoke, there's fire. A part of the human condition is squibbling over the details when in reality, like the big picture is pretty much settled for everyone who's in good faith. And that, that's part of the environmentalist thing lately, right? Like some people think, oh, if you identify, I was asked the other day if I was an environmentalist and I was like, you know, I've got to carefully answer that question because unfortunately environmentalists are now seen as like some kind of fanatical religion and I need to go out on a limb here and preface my answer by saying I support nuclear energy specifically but yeah I'm an environmentalist and that you know a lot of people think that they can gatekeep terms like environmentalist and if you support nuclear energy well then surely you are not one and I think that that sign, again, of infighting is evident that they, they're on to something. They're squibbling over the details, unfortunately. Where you don't really see much infighting is like, for example, the GOP or the DNC. Those are people where um, the fringes fall in line. They do what they're told. And that's kind of sussy. It's kind of sussy. Man, today we had a delicious tuna salad, Japanese lunch with rice and seaweed, soy sauce. It was very good. We actually ran out of soy sauce and got more at Walmart. We also got some Little Yachty, Lil, Lil Yachty pizza. I said, wasn't he that one that encouraged all those people during that? Trampe tramp that stampede, they all died in case he was like, no, that's a different one. And I was like, okay, my bad. But yeah, the same company that makes like the Stranger Things pizza, they made a Lil Yachty pizza. And that's hot honey cheese. So pretty excited to try that. And Casey got and made, and we're letting it set right now, pistachio pudding. Which I'm pretty excited for. I could eat endless pudding because of the, the texture of it. Things like that. Milkshakes, pudding, ice cream. I can eat an unlimited supply of it. Uh, and, and other and non-food related or philosophical uh, news. Today we came in from our lunchtime walk and Casey said something about a cat. And I look out the window and there was a cat loose in the road. And I went back outside and I tried to get close to it and called it and it came close to me. I didn't want to lunge and grab it, 
I tried to gently coax it towards me and it turned and, you know, got away from me and went behind a tree in the neighbor's yard. And I stood there for a minute being like, you know, hello, kitty, come out, kitty, kitty. But I didn't want to like go into the neighbor's yard too much because it was by a window and I think that's inappropriate. So I went and rang their doorbell and all their dogs started barking and that might have scared the cat away. But when the lady came, came out, came to the door, I was like, hey, I didn't want to scare you, but there's like someone's cats like in your backyard. And I didn't want to like go in your backyard looking for it, you know. And she came out for a minute. Neither of us could find the cat. Uh, but she did say that there's some new neighbors that let their cats out. And then later I was standing and I looked out the window again and I saw a cat much further down the road, a different cat. I verified with binoculars. It was also out and loose. And I saw it like go into some other person's backyard further down the road. And I think that that's pretty egregious to have cats out on the loose rolling around the neighborhood. Um, and I don't have any problems with the cats. Of course, it's more of like those when someone hits your cat with their car, it's now your fault because you let your cats out. That's crazy. Don't let your cats out. It's super irresponsible. They didn't even have any collars or anything. So I hope that worked itself out, man. That was pretty ridiculous. Um, yeah, I'm going to go because I'm tired. I've got other things to do, but hopefully tomorrow I'll remember to talk more about the Pentaveret. The Pentaveret. Thank you very much. Come again tomorrow.